everyone. Welcome to Creekside Chats. This is episode three with David and Ryan. This week, we're really excited. We have a very special guest. We have Adam Butler with us. How's it going? Doing good, doing good. Adam is our pastoral resident at Creekside Church. He does a little bit of everything. He's preached a few messages. He's done lyrics. He's done sound. He's about to start corralling a bunch of kids. He's put out chairs. You name it, Adam has probably done it. Uh, And we're so thankful for him. But the reason he is here this week is he has just finished writing a book. It was released on April 2nd. And he's really excited about it. We're really excited about excited about it. It's called Bubblegum Gospel. Um, and so today we're going to talk to him about that and find out some more details about what went into writing that and sort of his thoughts. And um, I should I should tell you guys, Creekside Chats is available on all major platforms, and it is released every Thursday morning, hopefully around nine or nine thirty. That's what we try and shoot for. So. Uh, go on, give it a, subs- a subscribe, give it a listen, and yeah, Adam, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. Just uh, excited to hear your heart about Bubblegum Gospel. And uh, before we just jump into the book, man, um, tell me a little bit about Adam Butler, the man. You know, tell me a little bit about your family. You are a student at CSU. What are you studying? And maybe tell me a little bit about um, whenever Adam Butler goes home every night and he's with the family and he's letting his hair down a little bit. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about what Adam Butler likes to do. Sure, sure. Well, my hair's not that long. I can't let it down. But my, <laughs> What's like wrong he with said, long hair? <laughs> <laughs> I am a student at CSU. I just finished my junior year a week ago. And uh, so going into my senior year, I'm studying Christian studies there. Um, and so hopefully God will be able to use me in that field somehow. But um, yeah, I'm 21 years old. Um, I went to Berkeley High School in Monk's Corner. That's where I live. And uh, I just, I love Creekside. I, I love uh, what all God is doing there. And um, and it's just been a blessing to be a part of it. And um, But yeah, I mean, the of Adam Butler is pretty simple. I just, um, I, I, love, I love school. I, I work at Northwoods Mall, you know, to help kind of pay the bills. And so... Um, I have a girlfriend named Allison, um, so shout out to her. And uh, but yeah, so I mean, I my life is is pretty simple. Like I say, I I'm, I don't have a lot of hobbies, but I do. I love art and music. Um, I love listening to music. I like to sing, and uh, and I love to write. And that's part of what um, inspired me to sort of start working on this book. Is um, I've just been writing for uh, as long as I can remember. Um, so yeah, I just I, I have a passion for it. And I just decided to sit down one day, and I was like, you know what, I, I should start working on this because I, um, as as I'll talk about in just a little bit, I had a, I had a burden on my heart um, to write this book, and so, I just I made it happen, you know, and, so yeah. Who's your favorite band? My favorite. Oh, that's a good question. Um, my favorite band, I would have to say, is probably Coldplay. Coldplay. Um, okay, but cool. I also love John Mayer. So, yes. So kind of torn Excellent. between the two. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. Who's the worst band of all time? The worst band? Um, Nickelback. There you go. That's <laughs> awesome. That's the right answer. Sorry Look for at all these of you. photographs. <laughs> That's right. Sorry for all of you Nickelback fans out there. But 
They are, uh, by fact, the worst band yeah. of all time. They, they got a few bangers, but other than that, they're pretty trash. That is the first time I've heard Nickelback and bangers in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Bubblegum Gospel, and I'll just ask very generally, what is the inspiration behind this, uh, this book, this project you've worked on for some time now? Sure. Um, well, the inspiration is, is kind of a, a handful of things, but what inspired me to write it was basically I, there's um, some Barna research that I came across, um, and you should know beforehand, I, I spent a few years working with students in youth ministry, and so I've got a passion uh, for students and for young people, high school, college age, and I learned one day that of the students who grow up going to church, you know, like me, I, I grew up in church and all of my friends grew up going to church. But of the students like me, roughly 75% of them end up walking away from church after high school. And that just like blew my mind. And it breaks my heart, honestly, because I, I love students. I love young people. And I'm just thinking, you know, what is the cause of this? And so I, I, I looked into it and I've I've been to a lot of churches. I've um, I've experienced different church cultures, and I've been learning all kind of stuff at CSU, and and uh, from reading my Bible and from what God's been telling me. And I just I, I had this burden that I got to figure out. You know what? There's there's a lot of things I came across that are that I think are really driving this um, this uh, you know trend of walking away from church. But one of the things I think was was most prevalent was this idea that the church, young people are malnourished. And uh, come to realize that there's a lot of churches in America who just aren't feeding people and aren't teaching people how to feed themselves. And so the the analogy, I'll tell you why it's called bubblegum gospel. The analogy is, is that truth is a lot like solid food. Uh, in fact, Paul talks about that moving from, you know, drinking milk as an infant to solid food. And he's talking about truth and he's talking about doctrine and so truth is like solid food, and, and you need solid food and nutrients in order to grow properly, in order to be healthy. But a lot of times what we end up doing in church culture is we end up feeding people what I call bubblegum. And bubblegum is great, and it tastes good, and it's fun to chew on, and it just makes us feel good. It's sweet. But you guys know bubblegum doesn't really have much nutritional value, if at all. You know, it's like I say, it's, it tastes good. It makes us feel good. But just because it makes us feel good doesn't necessarily mean that there's a lot of doctrinal sustenance there. But what happens is when you start feeding people bubblegum, nothing but bubblegum, they end up lacking a lot of solid truth and, and they end up starving for it. And so we've got a culture in America that is essentially starving for truth. You know, a lot of us have abandoned truth. A lot of us are claiming things like, you know, there is no truth. We can believe whatever we want. And this is just just devastating to us, you know, as a church and as, as a nation. And, and it's not just America, just all across the world. And so bubblegum gospel is, is what I used to refer to, you know, a lack of doctrine and, and how we've sort of got to start aiming towards solid truth and, and teaching people how to feed themselves, how to read the Bible, you know, how to hear from God, how to pray. And so, um, so yeah, that's really what the, what the focus of the book is. I thought one of the, the interesting points you made early on in it, you were talking about how people, when people are starving for food, they'll eat almost anything. When you get hungry mm -hmm. enough, and I thought the analogy, there was an analogy you used 
about your birthday and there was a what was the food that you wanted that you yeah. love what's your favorite food? my favorite food is tacos tacos uh, and it has been for as long as i can remember and one day for my birthday um i knew my parents were going to be fixing me tacos for my birthday dinner because every year they they fix us our favorite foods on our birthday and i knew that i was going to be having tacos and so i i uh on purpose, I starved myself that day. I didn't eat anything else. I didn't eat breakfast. You, you were fasting for the tacos. I was fasting until because I, I wanted to eat as many tacos as possible. You know, and it sounds terrible, but I just love tacos that much. But by the time that dinner came around, I was so hungry that it didn't even matter anymore that I was eating tacos. I was just like, I've got to eat something. And this is, I feel like, where a lot of people in the church are is. They're coming into church and they're like, I need something. And if we're not feeding them solid food, they're just going to take whatever we give them and it might not even last. I mean, you guys know bubble gum, that flavor wears off pretty quick. You know, it feels good in the moment, but we've got to give them something that's going to actually help them grow. That's solid. I like it. You know, whenever I, I think about that, I think about Gen Z, as they're calling them, uh, which you're a part of. I am. And millennials, which I'm a part of, Ryan is a part of, uh, we're falling for things that are superficial, whether it be uh, on Instagram, whether it be ideas, whether it be Facebook, video games, pornography, whatever it is, we're falling in love with things that aren't real. So talk to me a little bit about how we fix this problem. How do we get others to see the fact that it's just a sugar pill? And is it Sunday school? Like, do we go back to just teaching? Is it teaching from the from the stage, from the pulpit? How do we go about reversing some of this mess that we're in? Well, I think that whenever we're talking about, you know, the church and how to fix problems in the church and with culture, the first thing we got to do is go to the scripture um, and look at what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was he gave people truth but he loved them. And so I think that's, that's the biggest thing is that what a lot of us will end up doing is we try to go along with the culture. We try to almost conform to it because we're thinking, well, we got to meet the culture where they're at. And there's some truth to that because that's what's known as contextualization. You know, we have to be able to meet people where they are in order to sort of get, you know, down in the dirt with them and say, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. But what ends up happening is when we do that, we end up um, sort of sacrificing the vital doctrines that we should be preaching uh, in the church. And so what we have to do Sorry is... Sorry, guys, I was pouring a little <laughs> bit of water here. <laughs> <laughs> what we have to do is we have to get back to this place of what did Jesus do? Jesus, he fed the crowd's truth, but he did it in a way that was loving. And so he met them where they were. Hmm. You know, he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. That would have been considered, you know... Uh, scandalous at the time, especially somebody of his status. You know, he was, he was a rabbi. He was Jesus. He was God. But then he was meeting people, the sinners, and you know, he met he met them where they were. And like Paul says, all things to all people in order that some might be saved. This is what we got to do, but we have to do it in a way that is both loving and truthful. And so, I think a lot of us are oftentimes scared of giving people solid truth because. Truth is not fun. Truth is a hard pill to swallow most of the time. And uh, when I was a kid, the vegetables were the last things that I ate 
but vegetables have the most nutrients in them, you know, but, but no kid wants to eat vegetables, Mm -hmm. but you know, you you can't leave the table until you eat those vegetables, you know? And so we got, we've got to get back to this place of what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about these issues? And how can we, how can we contextualize and meet people, you know, who are going through serious, you know, struggles and trials and say, there is truth and point them to what that truth is. Hmm. That's great. Um, I think one of my favorite chapters of your book that I wanted to stand up and just shout, yeah, for was <laughs> the ch- <clears throat> chapter that primarily focused on context. Mm-hmm. And there's all these verses that you reference that we might see on t-shirts, we might see on bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I have at least five in my house with these specific verses sure. printed on them. Uh, but one of the things that our culture has done is we've taken verses out of context. We've mm-hmm. taken verses that might have meant one thing. We match it to our specific need, our specific problem, whatever it is. And essentially, we take things out of the context that they were originally intended for. So tell me a little bit about that. I love that chapter. Yeah, Thank you for well. doing that. Um, first of all, give me a few of those verses that you reference Mm -hmm. and, uh, tell me why they're out of context. Yeah. And, and here's the interesting thing about that. Um, Bible verses weren't even added to the Bible until about 500 years ago. Like when, when it was first written, there were no verses at all. It was just, you know, one long line of text. And so verses were added to help us sort of navigate the text and they're helpful. They're certainly helpful. But the problem with that is like he just said, Um, we end up looking at one verse at a time and sort of neglecting the whole rest of the passage. And so it's sort of a bittersweet thing that we have Bible verses to begin with. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely possible and dangerous to look at one verse without looking at the rest of the passage. Um, Because, see, the authors of the Bible, they knew what they meant when they wrote it. And what ends up happening is like, you know, people ask me, "So, so what does this verse mean to you? And I always say, well, it doesn't really matter what it means to me. What matters is what the authors meant when they, you know, so what that means is that the Bible is not up for loose interpretation. You know, it's a conceited text. Um, And the reason for that is 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out by God, meaning that it's divinely inspired. So God, God knows what he wants the biblical authors to write, and that's why he wrote it down in his word. Um... And so what it means to take a verse out of context is, um, I'll give you a, a, a few prime examples of some of the most commonly taken out of context verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, um, is one of the most famous Bible verses of all time. Uh, you'll see it, you know, on t-shirts, like David just said, on t-shirts, on mugs, bumper stickers. And it's a great verse, but the problem is most people don't know what the rest of the passage says. And you know, for those of you that are unfamiliar, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you welfare and a future. And I used to hear that verse and I would think, now hold on a second. What if I were to, you know, get in a car accident and die tomorrow? Is that God's plan for me? Because if so, like if God does have plans for me in that sense, then that sort of contradicts the next half of the verse that he's not going to harm me. And I just struggled how I struggled with applying that verse to myself for so long until I realized one day that and my dad helped me understand that 
that verse is not actually meant to be applied directly to us. Because if you look at the context, Jeremiah was a prophet um, in the Old Testament, and he was sent to speak directly to Israel as a people. You know, because Israel is God's chosen people, and what the prophets would do is they would warn the people of things to come. They would tell people how to turn back to God. They would let people know what they were doing wrong, um, the Israelites, that is. And so in this verse, Jeremiah is talking to Israel, letting them know, okay, you've had a history of rebelling against God, but God still loves you. You're still, he has plans for you as a people, you know, and so he's going to prosper you. And so that verse, according to the context, is not really talking directly to us, although we can learn about God's faithfulness, but he's actually talking to Israel in the verse. Um, another good example, Romans 8, 28. You know, it's, it's another famous verse. It says, you know, uh, God works all things together for the, good, for the good of those who love and trust him. And, and we use that verse as a sort of um, comfort. You know, we, we use that verse when people are going through hardships. And, and that's not a bad thing. But what ends up happening is we take it out of context. And if we look at the rest of the passage, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's talking about sanctification. So, you know, he, uh, after that verse, he talks about the process of what sanctification looks like, you know, being called and justified and glorified and whatnot. And so the verse really doesn't have much to do with God making everything okay as much as it has to do with God working his will out in our lives um, through sanctification. Um, and so I'll just give you one more example. First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen is a lesser known verse, and here's why. You might have heard, because I've been hearing this all my life, you've probably heard somebody tell you, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, or God won't put you through more than you can bear. And what they're referring to, and they mean well, I'm sure, but what they're referring to is this verse in 1 Corinthians that actually says, no temptation has overtaken you that's uncommon to man, but when you're tempted, God will not give you more than you can handle. So the verse has nothing to do with trials. It's actually talking about temptation, but a lot of us have taken that verse out of context and applied it to something that the author never intended, hmm. right? And and so God God will, um, God will take care of us in the midst of trials, but that's not really what that verse is about. And saying that God won't give you more than you, well, that's not actually a verse that's in the Bible. And so, but like I say, it just it can be dangerous. We just got to be careful. Um, that we're being intentional when we're reading the Bible, that we understand who's writing this, why are they writing it, who are they writing to, what's the situation, you know. So I think these these are just helpful tools when it comes to practical Bible study. Yeah, I um, reading that, I, I thought there was there's actually one specifically in my life when t- talk about verses out of context. There's Habakkuk one five, which I know Habakkuk is like super obscure, but the, the verses. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed because you're not basically you're not going to believe what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. And I can remember a youth pastor in my life. Uh, I was about to move with my family and he gave me a Bible and he had this verse written on the inside cover in the Bible. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> didn't think anything of it at the time because I didn't realize the context of it at the time. Well, if you read just a few verses down. The Lord then tells Habakkuk that he's raising up the Chaldeans. Don't make fun of my pronunciation of the Chaldeans. He's raising up the Chaldeans to bring, which were a wicked, terrible people, to bring 
utter destruction to the nations. And there's going to be 70 years of destruction on these nations before it starts to turn around. So when he's telling Habakkuk, look, look at the nations and watch, it's not good stuff that's about to happen Mm -hmm. to him. It's terrible stuff. The Lord's still sovereign and he still reigns and, and his glory is shown through that. But I think that verse is used like this youth pastor giving it to me as an encouragement. And the context of it is it was just taken so out of context. Youth pastor, you just got called out. (laughs) Taking verses out of context. Adam, tell me, is there a favorite chapter that you have in bubblegum gospel? Um, yeah, pretty much the whole book. Uh, is my <laughs> well, no, I saw that question. I was like, I don't. It's probably like babies <laughs> to him. Every chapter is like his own little baby. You know, yeah. he likes different things. No, is, perhaps is maybe the better way to put that is: is there a chapter that maybe sticks out to you that says, "I really want people to get this one"? Yeah, and uh, believe it or not, it's actually the last chapter. Um, so that that tells you you should probably read the whole book. But <laughs> the last chapter is called "Why Aren't We Teaching People to Eat Their Veggies." And it sort of sums up, it's kind of like, you know, when you're writing a paper, the conclusion is what sums up the entire thing. So this chapter really sums up uh, what I've covered in the book, and it, it basically lays out the importance of discipleship within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of topics that are covered throughout the book, but th- what the chapter focuses on is what the title says, why aren't we teaching people to eat their veggies that we've got to, we've got to start not just preaching truth, but also teaching people how to consume truth. Like, like we just talked about a second ago, knowing how to read the Bible is probably one of the most important, but often neglected skills within the church. Cause if we don't know what we're reading, how, are, how is God, how is God going to speak to us, you know, on a practical level and how are we going to grow? So, that involves discipleship involves you know one on one it involves you know group groups getting together and just reading the bible together you know and sitting down with people and saying okay this is what god is teaching me and you know learning just how to how to read through the bible and how to actually apply what we're learning um how to take how to not take things out of context and um how to eat veggies how to eat steak you know how to take in sustenance and really grow through discipleship and through what God is teaching us. And so I think that's probably the most important chapter of the whole book is, you know, focusing on bringing back a culture or creating a culture of truth and love. Hmm. That's really good. Well, I'm not Pilate and you're not Jesus, but I'm going to ask you the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? Excellent question. And in that passage, Pilate never gives Jesus a chance to answer. He walks away as soon as he asks that question. And um, that question is essentially what the entire book centers around. Uh, like I said in, at the beginning of this podcast, our culture now is is becoming more and more anti-truth. And maybe not so much even knowing that, knowing that but we want to have our own truths. Um, you know, we, we want to do things our way. We want to define our own truths. Um, but I think truth, if you want a practical definition, truth is, is that which affirms reality for what it really is. And Jesus knew this. 
And so I think the church is called to know that too, that we have to be willing to acknowledge, okay, there's truth in the Bible, and this is what it says. And so we don't get to decide what we want to be true. Um, we don't get to you know twist the truth to, to fit our own desires. Our truth as Christians, we're called to live our lives in line with God's will. And I think that, in essence, is what truth is, that God... God is the author of life, and he's the author of truth. And so understanding that truth is affirming reality is truth is whatever lines up with the will of God, you know. And so, so yes, there is truth. You know, truth can be known. Truth is absolute. And, um, and that's essentially what I'm trying to tackle with, with Bubblegum Gospel. Hmm. That's really good. Um, so if we can for a minute, and this is, I'm just super curious about this for my own curiosity could you pull back the veil a little bit on just kind of the nuts and bolts process for you to writing a book so like you have this this thought and this idea that is in your brain and you say I want to write a book what was that process like how did that get started how did you get it published I mean did you Mm -hmm. have to send it off somewhere and have them review it yeah, I mean, uh, well, it it started out just kind of as a, um, here's something I'm gonna I'm gonna do for fun, you know, like the the message wasn't something I was taking lightly, but I was like, I never really thought I'm gonna write this book and get it published. It was mm-hmm. more just like, I've got this stuff on my heart, I need to write it down, and so I just started writing. Um, I think the first chapter I started with was the one on context, believe it or not, mm. and and this was like little over a year and a half ago. So that's about how long it took me to write. It was about a year and a half. And I just like started writing, you know, I took stuff that I learned. I did some research. I, I read some things. Um, leaders are readers, by the way. Uh, that's one of the best things I've ever learned about leadership. So I just keep reading. So I just, I, I took stuff that I learned and I just started writing, you know, and, and then as, as more ideas started to get uh, really on, down on the paper, I was like, okay, I might actually, I might actually try to finish this thing, you know, m- make it into a real book. I still had no idea I would ever publish, because you know I'm, I'm just a college kid, you know, who wants to listen to what I have to say. But I just started writing and writing, and just mo- I was learning more stuff, and and more God was just speaking to me in all kind of different ways, and just you know teaching me stuff. And I just started uh, writing more, and I eventually got the whole manuscript done. Um, and it it wasn't what's published now. It was a it was a prototype manuscript, but so one day uh, I was like, you know what? I treated it kind of like a college paper. Each chapter I treated it as if I was writing like a college, because like I say, I was in college at the time. I still am. So I was in the midst of me going to school and class. I was also when I had free time, I'd just sit down and. So you're writing, writing like ten to twelve page papers just in your free time. Yeah, you know, just, just nonchalantly. <laughs> just. When you let your hair down. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, and so I got this full manuscript, and I was like, you know what? Just for kicks and giggles. I'm going to try to find a publisher, just send it off, just see what they say, you know, because maybe somewhere down the road years from now, I might tweak this a little bit and I might publish it. And this is, this is about probably six or seven months ago. And, um, so I just sent it off to a local Christian publisher. And, um, I, like I say, I'm, I'm a college kid. I'm like, they're not this. And they said, they told me, they're like, we can't guarantee you that we're going to, that we can publish this, you know, because it has to be good, obviously, and I was like, okay. I didn't think anything of it, but about a week later, sure enough, I got a 
email back and they said, we want to publish this for you. And um, so I was like, okay. And so then I started tweaking the, the book a little bit, started working on it, editing some stuff, keeping that in mind. And I sent it off to a, a little bit more reputable publisher again, just to see what they'd say. I was thinking maybe the other ones were just desperate. I don't know. So I sent it off to another publisher and same thing happened. They accepted it. They said, we'll publish this for you. We, we see a lot of potential in this. And by that point I was like, okay, maybe this is uh maybe I need to get this published. So I started praying about it. I was like, God, if you want this to happen, then, you know, I know that you'll make a way. So I prayed about it and I, I worked on it some more and I edited it and I, I, uh, finalized the manuscript and I sent it off to one more publisher that really stuck out to me. The publisher that I, I use now is called Westbow Press. They're a division of Thomas Nelson and Zondervan. So they're like kind of a, a big name publisher. And I was like, there's no way they're going to hmm. accept this. But I sent it off and they accepted it and they said, we'll publish this for you. And by that time I was finished with the book. And so I was like, okay, I guess, I guess this is it, you know? And so they're the ones that I ended up um, going with. And so, like I say, the whole process took about a year and a half, and um, and then the publishing process took somewhere around four or five months, and um, and yeah, so it was just it was a really good experience. It was it wasn't easy, you yeah. know. It, um, but again, it, if you've got a message, don't let the idea of writing a book intimidate you. I mean, it, it, if you've got something you've got to say, you know, write it down and make it happen. And before we've forget because if i don't say this now i'll probably forget it where can people find this book like if they want to go get it purchase it where can they find it yeah it's it's available on pretty much all major online retailers that sell books so like amazon barnes and noble google books uh walmart.com mm. and so or you can go directly to my publisher's website which is westbowpress.com and so uh, you can pick it up in paperback hard copy or hardback or you can get it in ebook. So, yep. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. We Absolutely. are out of time today, but before we go, I have a little game that I want to play with you. Oh and gosh. Yes. I'm going to give you one word mm-hmm. and I want you to then just blurt out the first word that comes to mind whenever I give you said word. Make sense? Okay. First word that comes to mind, okay? All right, All right. I'll try. Let's practice right here, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, first word. Riding. Motorcycle. I said riding with a W. Oh, <laughs> I thought the same thing. All right, writing. Bubblegum gospel. Worship. Ryan. Your brother, Andrew. Leader. Lord of the Rings. Frodo. Tacos. Adam Butler. <laughs> College. Depression. (laughs) Skinny jeans. Youth pastor. Nickelback. And trash. (laughs) Trash. Uh, Last one. Set up and tear down. Creekside Church. There you go. That's 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 all right. Creekside Church in a nutshell. And we have come full circle. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for for having me. Willingness to do that, man. That was awesome. And uh, again, you can see that uh, on Amazon, anywhere books are sold just about. And uh, Go get it and read it. Yeah, absolutely. You will not be upset that you did that. Best 10 bucks you can spend. Well, that concludes our time today. Thank you for listening to Creekside Chats, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, once again, Bubblegum Gospel by Adam Butler. Thanks, guys. See you next week. (laughs) 